1: Lot, talk radio. Lot, 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 talk radio. This thing right here is for
0: my
2: people <laughs> in the streets. <laughs> yes, yes, today. Yes, yes, today. You know, as we start this show this one mic. Here <problems> <coughs> yes, 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 you know, we <camera> <speeches>
0: Wow. There is a pause throughout the stadium as the man sounds like he just coughs up a lung. They're looking around. The jumbo rod shows and pairs the cheerleaders, and as it goes down each to their face, Each one breaks up into laughter, which at this particular time destroys half the stadium. The other half is still trying to figure out what the hell just happened. Does this guy need uh, CPR or something? And at that particular time, I lost it. Yes, yes, yes. Today, I'm going to this one, Mike. Phoenix is another place. They got a great
2: uh, training staff. I and mean, they, they were able to breathe life back in the shack. and you can do that. You know, people talk a lot about this. Yes, today, you know, as we start this show, this one mic. All right, welcome to RSG One Mic. Uh, this is your guy, D. Wills, uh, on the mic. and I, In a minute, I'll bring in our co-host uh, as well, but I always want to encourage you all uh, to uh, visit us at uh, – real sports guys.com. Uh, we've relaunched that website and it's got a lot of good content. We will be posting Sekou's for some of you folks who have been, uh, following us for years. Sekou does his hip hop and review, and it has a sports twist that we'll be posting here, uh, pretty quickly. Um, so that you will have uh, an opportunity to, to witness, uh, his genius as it comes, uh, it comes to, um, Uh, you know, the world of hip-hop and its intersection with sports. I'm excited about putting that out. And and then he and Marcus will be doing a a special um, podcast uh, kind of reviewing that list here coming up pretty soon. So we're excited about all that. You know, the big show has kind of been on hold, but we, you know, we're in in conversations and talks. Uh, We want to do an official uh, congratulations to our man. We don't just call him Phil uh, PhD anymore. He's actually a PhD. Uh, He defended his uh, dissertation The brother is now uh you know dr thompson and so we appreciate that we are always trying to encourage education i know all those young folks over there at Vitek, uh, are going to love that uh that that he is doing what he's doing so we, we are happy but it's happy new year we are in it a new decade uh but we got some same old issues dealing with so in the heart of our cipher today we'll be trying to answer the question is the rooney rule officially dead uh, we'll be talking about that as a, as a question that we'll hit in a cipher. But we got a whole bunch of other sports to catch, to cap, to capture, and talk about because we kind of been out uh, doing our doing our holiday swing. And so before I do that, I got to bring in my my co-host here today on the show. I'll start with the youngin, uh, my man Darnell. How you doing, man? Happy New Year.
3: Happy New Year to you. It's been a long time since I left you without a dope pod to step to. But um. <laughs> It's been a while. Uh, I don't even know if we talked about the, the Christmas Day game. Hawaii and the Clippers took the Lakers hard again. I don't know if we even talked about that. It's been a long time. Um, Don Brown has um, showed himself to Michigan fans again. Ohio State got um, robbed out of the game by the referees, just like they robbed Michigan a couple of years ago. But um, yeah, it was it was just
2: too painful, brother. It was just too painful for us to talk about. We all had to go.
3: Oh, <laughs> oh man! Michigan State beat Michigan in basketball. It's one game. Oh, another thing that happened that that we missed, but hey, man, it's a lot of a lot of things going, and I guess we're gonna catch up today.
2: We're gonna try and catch up. I know we've been trying to uh, work on that, but yeah, you hit a couple painful topics, and we even talk about Oregon. <laughs> Uh, uh, the Badgers getting robbed in the Oregon game. I've never seen Paul Pierce that mad. I've been around him a lot. Y- he's intense, but you never seen him emotionally display uh, anger like that publicly. Usually, you can see that he's upset, but he you, the way he was going at that referee and that bad uh, 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 pass interference call, it's just too much pain for us to come and talk about it. So now you bring it all up here. I'm trying to, I'm trying to start out my new year on a positive note. And, and you are trying to drag me back into 2019. I got a new theme. My theme is about reclaiming my gifts in 2020. And now you bring me back to the nightmare. But thank you for sharing and bringing us up. I'm, I'm def- We'll definitely be hitting those topics on this show, we'll probably continue to dig on them uh, as we move forward. We got to bring in. We got to bring in the man. You know, we call him Mr. Double Double. You can kind of knock. You can put up there. He, he, he's more than Clint Capella. You know, he 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 he's he's more than Dennis Rodman. He he's he's that cat that – he he's, he's like that Tim Duncan. He's Mr. Fundamental. His name is – what's up, Hank?
0: <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Happy, happy New Year. Happy 2020 to you. Happy 2020, Youngin. Glad to make it through another year, you know, uh, and, and to get into seeing a new year, a year we've never seen before, which is going to give us a lot of promise. Uh, on, on, on going forward. I'm looking forward to it. You know, I, I, I didn't allow things that I kind of had an anticipation of what was going to happen bother me. You know, I I enjoyed the Michigan-Alabama game because I didn't watch it down. See, that's how you have to do it sometimes. You just have to just go ahead and say, you know what, what it is is what it is and what it ain't is what it ain't, and you move forward for that. You know, as far as Ohio State and Clemson, since the young and brought it up, you know, first of all, I'm gonna, I, I, I don't feel bad for the Buckeyes at all. That's a team that should have been up 28 to nothing against the defending champions, and y'all, we've always said, if you don't knock the champion out, you cannot expect to outpoint them. That's their fault. Don't blame the referees. You don't be in that position if you go ahead and execute in the first half. That's what that was all about. But see, I can't get too upset, D, because see, I understand, and you should be a little bit upset what went on with the Oregon Wisconsin game. That was that was highway robbery, and 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 the um, the Badgers deserve better. You know, uh, you you got a chance to see a generational back, you know, down there with Jonathan Taylor. And you should be real glad about that, you know, and and at least, you know, wish that young man well in the pros. You know, but see, you you guys don't know what pain is. See, pain is not about, you know, a loss here, a loss there. A pain is having a coach that's lost double-digit losses two years in a row, and he keeps his job two weeks before the season is over, while other teams that have better records in the NFL – you know, uh, fired their coaches and and are looking to try to do better. So, you know, as long as you got the Detroit, and then you have a news uh, service choose to say that all the Detroit uh, sports franchises set a record in December for the most losses by anybody, you know, losing streaks by any uh, one-town franchise, you know, with the Red Wings, the Pistons, and and the Lions winning uh, one ball game in like four weeks. So, see, that's pain. So, but you got to put that somewhere so you can look forward. So that's why I'm saying, don't don't stress on the little stuff. You know, move forward, have that look for your gifts because they're definitely coming.
2: That's right, because there's a lot of positive things going on in the city of Detroit. It's just not happening in the sports world.
0: And you're exactly.
2: right. I mean, we we all we all could be Detroit, and it's hard to say that when <laughs> you have a proud franchise like the Pistons, the Red Wings. Now we we got some we got we got some light with Steve Steve Eisenman coming back. To run the franchise. So that might be the one that actually figures it out uh and, and gets back to where they, they need to go. But the Lions, I don't even know what to say about the Lions. Yes, and, and it but it just keeps reaffirming why I I'm over there hanging with Tomlin. I've been over hanging with the Steelers since the seven. Even though I love I've loved I love Dexter Bussy. I loved Herman Moore. I love uh was it Porget? I love, you know, I know him. I know I was, I was, I was, I was, I was uh, was another one bites the dust. I was singing the song. I was, it it was, I was hoping, I hoped that they believed in doing it. And they had, when I was in Michigan, they had this great (laughs) news thing about what people were wishing for uh, as it related to sports. Like people are trying to make it their new year, new year's resolution. They are down to the point where they just, they are praying for one of these teams to, to get it going and so hey i i think you're right we we have to think about our blessings. we have to think about all the other things the positives because uh uh detroit any of us who are connected to the city we are we are looking for that glimmer of light i think it's going to be the red wings but i'm not sure all right here we go now we got a great show here and you know there's a lot we could cover in this show we're going to cover some good stuff in this show and then our goal is to try to get more content out you guys and come up to speed and catch up you know, we've caught our breath. We got our, our second win. Uh, there's a lot of great stories out there. But, you know, what makes uh, Real Sports Guys what it is, is the conversations around the intersection between society and sports. And so, in our and as I said before, in our cipher, uh, we will get into, you know, is the ruling rule officially dead? And we'll talk about that. But there's a lot of other good topics to be had here. and So we'll get into that uh, in our open mic segment that we're about to get right now. Brought to you by us. And we'll keep it <laughs> on that one. We are working on some sponsorships. Uh, we want to thank all the folks who have supported us over the years. Uh, but uh, we are we are in to the open mic. So here we go. Is it slugs or thugs? Cleveland, we've got a problem. What is going on? John B. John B. goes to the pros. And, you know, I was like, well, he's going to have a terrible year. And I, was, and I wasn't even paying attention to Cleveland. But then all of a sudden this story comes out that he – Got so frustrated, he he called them uh, his players a bunch of thugs. He meant to say a bunch of slugs. Hank, I'll go to you first. But this is what I was a little worried about. You know, John Belin is a great coach. Nobody's gonna take it about, but the pro game is a different game. These are grown, these are grown and sometimes young grown men with money, mortgages, opportunities, own personal brands, and it's hard to coach in the pros like it is in college because you ain't got that same kind of control. You control all the dollars. And he left because one of the reasons he left is because he was just frustrated with the kind of this one-and-done culture, inability to develop players, but he kind of jumped out of the frying pan into the fire. When you heard the story, what was your reaction? Where do you think this goes?
0: Okay, so here, here's, here's Coach Beeline, okay? We got, we got an intimate relationship with this man. And as far as, fan, as, far as fans and, and sport, that he coached the University of Michigan basketball team. Okay, uh, I listened to Coach Beeline a lot in his uh, pre, you know post-game conferences and everything on some Michigan basketball teams where, you know, maybe they may not have had a good season or anything like that. He was very measured in how he spoke. He was very measured on what he said about his players uh, and was always positive, always upbeat. When the story came out prior to this that, they was already tuning out Coach Beeline because what he is is he's the quintessential teacher, okay? He's going to teach things his way. He 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 was known for taking players that weren't four-star, five-star players and developing them into some great basketball players, okay? Now, like you as you already alluded to, he gets to the pros. These guys are making millions of dollars. A lot of these guys are making more money than he's making. And they've tuned him out, and that came out before this. I think this is more or less a Freudian slip on his part and the fact that maybe he meant to say slugs, but what was really in his head is y'all are a bunch of doggone thugs, and that's how y'all acting. Okay, you don't listen. Uh, these were the issues that I had. If he If he got him a group that didn't listen— Okay, he's got a disgruntled player over there in Kevin Love, a guy who's won a championship and a guy who, you know, has played on, on, in the finals. And this team uh, is is semi rudderless I say semi because he's got some young talent in there. And they think they're trying to do the right thing with b But this is a different animal. This is a different animal. This isn't about coaching X's and O's at the pro game. It's a psychological game, okay? You've got to be a psychiatrist. you got to be a psychologist. you got to be a Zen master, if you will. Well, and a lot of these coaches just aren't that. And, and what John line is is that science teacher or that history teacher or that English teacher, and you are made to, it, to to take the class, and you really don't care about the subject. And This is what's happening in Cleveland right now. I think it's unfortunate. Um, I don't think that – I really don't think that he was trying to be uh, derogatory, but I just think that he's calling it like he – see, I don't think he – I think if you ask me, he, did he meant to say slugs, that's what he meant to say openly, but I call it a 40 in slip because I think that uh, what was internal came out. And I think that's what you got there. And, I, and, and as far as where it goes, that's going to be up to John Beeline, okay? Is this something – is this a challenge that he wants to take on this late in his life, you know, at the NBA game, he tried it. It didn't work. You know, he'd be a great analyst, or he may be a great college coach for somebody else. But that college game, that, that pro game is a different animal. And I, and I think he's kind of realized that in the hardest way possible. I,
2: I think you put on uh, – I mean, I think you framed that. Uh, uh, it hit the issues right on the board. And I think the other thing is if you have a John B line, you've got to have – your 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 uh your Perkins in the locker room. You got to have that vet who's aligned right. with the value system that they respect. You got to have that guard. You got to have that Jarrett Jack. You got to have someone who can be the translator. And the problem he has is he's got two veterans, and I think Tristan Thompson is trying to do this, but Tristan comes with his own set of baggage you know, what the stuff he had to go through publicly. So these kids are like, I got, you know, I'm Google. I've been around I was watching. So he, I don't know if he comes with some of the same gravitas um, that Kevin Love could come with, but Kevin is like clearly not wanting to be there. And Kevin's done with, with his own emotional, psychological stress in, in kinds of issues. He's been very public about his anxiety, which came on display uh, in his own, and we'll get to Kevin. And so I, I always think that when you're a general manager, bringing someone like John Beeline in, You know, you got you got kids on this roster. You look at their roster, man. You got a guy like Kevin Porter Jr., who had his own issues in college at USC, right? You know, you got you got uh, 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 very talented. You got you got Brandon Knight, but Brandon don't come with the gravitas that a veteran. But you got some young guys who came in who make a lot of money. Who who Colin Sexton, who was a great guy, flamboyant, smart. I mean, in terms of you know what he did academically, but you know, he, he got he got uh he got issues about challenging and he want to get out. He got some maturity issues himself. So your your young stars without the right folks in the locker room and I don't know how effective people like Brandon Knight can be. I don't know how effective people like, you know, John Henderson can be. I don't know how effective, you know, uh Tristan Thompson. Like you need veterans to go along with that coach when you bring somebody like especially somebody like a B B-line um into it. I just think they have not set up the supporting cast structure on the team, in the locker room wearing the jersey that will go along with these young people that are they're developing. Darna, I want to go to you when you when you heard this. You know what was some of your action? You know I, I love to get your perspective, given like you know you're in an age range with some of these young kids, uh, these young guys, and so you know your perspective, uh, you know of of a young person who's going on who had to navigate a lot of this growing up. People not understanding who you are, making judgments about you before they even know you played three or four instruments. You did, you know, all these things that you are smart. You do. I think you have a perspective. You know what? How, how did you react to this? Man, uh,
3: I don't believe uh, John beline at all. Uh, I think he he realized the error of, you know, this is gonna look bad when it comes out. And he tried to get out in front of me and say, you know what I meant? I meant that I said, uh, I meant to say plug. Uh, but it doesn't really make sense to me. So, um I don't believe him. And um he had already lost the locker room as um in uh as the reports earlier had already said. But um as far as him relating to this um team and the, this roster, I think um he this is a roster that he should be able to um relate to because he is a college coach and this is a very young roster and this is supposed to be his forte and he's supposed to be a guy that his forte is developing players and these are young players. So he should be, um, he should be the right fit for the job, but um, it doesn't seem like it's working out right now. And um, they might have to look at a different direction. If I'm, if I'm the Cleveland um, front office, because you're losing the locker room, Kevin Love is going Acting, acting the fool, and that's another conversation right there. Um, is Kevin Love getting the pass in the media? Like, if it was a different player that was acting like that, if it was Russell Westbrook yeah. or somebody yeah. not looked as favorably in the media, would um, the media be all over this, calling him a lock room cat, and so they um uh, or stuff like that that they say about guys like Terrell Owens? So. um
2: Yeah, not being a good example for the the locker room. Yeah, make it even more difficult. Yeah, I mean, you you hit it right on that. That right there is an important point that you're bringing up that nobody's talking about in the media about his behavior and give is he getting the pass uh, in a way that other cats would not have gotten the pass, where his job should be to actually help lead some of these young guys. But yeah, he until you leave and he's he's he's. He's pulling Anthony Davis and all those cats, and Anthony Davis got more flack trying to get out of there than 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 who was justified, than, than Kevin Love is getting for his behavior. To me, that's a brilliant point. Talk to me. You know, now, you I'm, make a
0: valid point on that when you talk about yeah. Kevin Love. And like I said before, he's disgruntled. Uh, he 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 he's already put in his mind he's not going to win anything in Cleveland. All right. Um, he looks at that locker room and, and, and D you talked about, you know, having a, a veteran presence there that, that's that kinda helps keep that locker room together. B Lions clearly doesn't have that. Okay, again they're looking at him like the substitute teacher. All right. Uh they they and, and so this is this is the problem you have and, and I agree with Darnell. I don't know how he gets that back. And, and he has to really make a decision, you know, before he's truly humiliated and let go before the season. That would just be just a total humiliation. Yeah, he's, almost a right he's almost on the Dick Vitale
2: timeline. He's almost on the Dick Vitale timeline, which is the shortest coaching timeline probably in history. You, right, he might right, it, right. Dick Vitale even complete his first season. business uh, no. uh, So, yeah, he might be on the Vitale. But, I, Hank, and, and Don, I want to hear something. Don, I said something interesting about why b should be having success. And when you first said it, I'm like, dang, you're right. But the other piece that's missing that's not here was folks going to listen to him because he's a gateway to getting the pros. Cass is still not getting checks. Mm-hmm. Like, So right. I feel a certain way, even about why he's poaching you, but you can see enough evidence of how he got people to the pros. And you kind of adhere it to it. And a certain thing you do in college because you know you haven't reached the check yet versus – a mindset these kids got before you even meet them after they drive, they already gone bought the car. They don't bought the house. They made exactly. it. That's a good one. Yeah. So but I don't need any more development because I already made it. So there's a different mindset for these young guys versus the guys you're going to get when you recruit them in to college. Do, would you agree with that or not? And what that might be the difference.
0: I think you hit that right on the what
2: head.
0: I, mean? I agree. I think you hit that right on the head. The fact that, you know, I've already made it versus I got to listen I got to pay attention because I got to get on the floor if I'm going to try to make it to the pros. Okay, the minute I get a chance to make it to the pros by this development, I'm gone. Versus, I've already made mine. I've already got it, and you know, if, and you trying to develop me. And here's the thing that that you you don't just hear it in basketball. You hear it a lot in these other sports about trying just to develop the fundamentals at the pro game. Okay, that it becomes difficult because these guys go off with their personal trainers and their own personal coaches and stuff to do all these different things, and the coaches are just trying to just mind game time and practice. And that's the thing when you are a coach that is a hands-on coach and you're trying to develop, especially your own scheme and stuff, and these guys don't listen. And you're trying to, you know, teach certain dribble techniques or, you know, you're still trying to teach footwork down in the paint. They don't want to hear all that. They're they gonna play their game regardless. So I think that. There is a really big disconnect, there, and you see it.
2: Yeah, and, and it's, um, and I think the point that Darnell made is probably the mistake he made. He probably looked at the roster like, okay, I can approach these kids like they came out of college because they are blah blah blah, but he didn't make the fact that they crossed the bridge. Right, right. I don't. Think he he accounted for his trajectory that that they crossed the bridge. Right. That well, that, that in some ways uh, they are not the same guys and. he's going to need to leverage veterans and assistant coaches as much as anything, people who got pro experience as assistant coaches and uh, people who, um, you know, um, uh, uh, can translate for him. is going to be important until he starts winning, right? Until, Until you start getting the W's and getting the results. Then you can start to ease your way um uh in into the thing. And I think he might have missed he might have thought these kids was going feeling in ways that they weren't feeling them because they gotta go home. And then also you got grown men, right? You got right. you got that mix of grown men, you know, it looks like he well, he got JB Bickerstaff on his uh uh, uh, uh on, on his staff who's got great coaching experience. And it's hard to know he got Anthony he got Antonio Lang. He got some good folks. It's hard to know how he's using them. Right? And right. and and that's the interesting part about it when I look at his his stuff. And so everybody's assuming he lost the locker room, it's hard to get back. If you were in his ear, I'll start with you, Darnell. If you were in his ear, since you're close to the age of a lot of these guys. You were in his ear. What two or three steps would you take to say, "Hey, by the time we get to March, we'll have the locker room back"? What What would you do? What would your recommendations be to help?
3: Shoot, in my opinion, I don't know. You can't. I don't know if you that you can get the locker room back. Because if I was in his ear, I'd probably um, I'd probably be telling him it's time to plan that next move because um. <laughs> the, 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 uh, no, I'm serious because um, what he said, he might he might have apologized to the players, but that's not something you get. You might um you might say you accept the apology, but that's not something you just easily get over. Like if you um, especially being a young black man, and you hear yeah. um your coach or um your superior talking about calling you a son. That That's a um, racial a term that has um, racial overtones and things that we've been, a word that we have been conditioned to um, associate with other black people. So hearing that from a guy that we're supposed to respect, uh, it's hard to gain that back. It's hard to put that toothpaste back in the tube. So if I was him, I'd probably be looking at the next move, but um, and another thing you were talking about the assistant coaches. One thing I heard was um it's um, he's lost the locker room to a point where um the players they go to the assistant coaches instead of the head coaches and they wanna um hear instructions from them instead because um they um they know that they have NBA experience and um B line does not. So it's there's a respect uh there's what there seems to be a respect barrier that um just isn't there.
2: I love respect is not there. Great. I mean, my goodness. Excellent analysis. Uh, wh- I mean, how do you – Hank, what, do you have a different perspective? I, I have a couple of things, but, Hank, do you have a different perspective? I,
0: I, I do. I, listen, you, then what you have to do if you're John Beeline – see, John Beeline did started start coaching yesterday, okay? And I'm certain this isn't the first difficult team he's had to deal with. Okay, I wouldn't say cut bait. I, he, he, if he took the challenge to come to the NBA, he's got to figure out the mind of the NBA player. So if I'm John Beline, I'm like, rely upon your assistance and figure out what it is and how it is we get the team back. All right? And, and but, but you've got to be that leader to say, okay, uh now reports said that he went to each and every individual player and he apologized to him. That's a good first step. Then they did come out and beat the Pistons in overtime on their next game after this event. Now, knowing they are a young team, and knowing there's some growth and development to be done, and this is what he's did he's done in the past where it hasn't necessarily gone well for him, but he but he's turned it around. This is what he's going to have to rely upon this year. He's going to have to show that regardless of what they've seen, that this team did not quit on him, that there were some small step developments. Nobody expected the Cleveland Cavaliers to make the playoffs. Nobody expected them to win the championship. You just want to see some improvement this year. Did some players improve? Now, does the front office make some moves so that he can regain the team? There's a whole lot that can go on between now and the end of the season. But what, what he needs to do, if I'm advising him, you've got to do all that you can to get to the end of this year. You've got to do all that you can to rely upon your, your coaching expertise, your coaching prowess, to get to the end of this year. And then see what happens. If you, if you cut bait right now, you are an abject failure in the NBA. And you have to ask yourself, you know, um, am I really, or did I just not approach this right? And, and, and to eternalize, what can I do better? And and to see if he can't do that, um, he's a good coach. We've already seen that he's a good coach. Okay, and these are young players. He's got to figure out a way to to um, connect with the NBA player, the young NBA player of today, and that's where his assistants can help him.
2: And, and I, I, I I love this stuff. And and I would say, um, you know, one thing about the lines got players all over the NBA, so right. he's got a reputation, uh, and and a lot of guys are doing good doing well. I mean, right. you, you got cats who didn't play a lot at Michigan or just kind of late, and they're, they're starring in the league. So, these cats are aware enough to know he knows something, but he's missing the communication thing. And so, one of the things I would do, the thing about NBA is all about relationships, more so than college. Um, you can be authoritarian in college, In in the pros is about relationships. And I think that can be a strength of John Beeline when he turns it on. I think one of the things is he, he has been able to most of his players who play for him have developed a deep connection and relationships. Even, you know, Juwan Howard talks about that connection with him. And so what I would, well, the great thing about the NBA and in the, the group he has is what I would do from here on out is my role is about connecting with every t- player on the team. I would move to the fact, I would say, uh, Bernie, you running the offense of stuff, parts of practice. Another cast were in the defense part of practice, and he kind of did some of that at Michigan, where he had a defensive mm-hmm. coordinator. And his my whole job would be when I'm looking around the team, because you know the, the thing about the NBA is your roster changes. About 50% of his roster is going to change, mm-hmm. but there's a couple of players who you build around. I'm focusing on Colin. I'm focusing on um, my vets. I'm I'm focusing on the the two the three or four young players starting with them, the ones who are going to be the future locker room, and building personal relationships. That means that me and Colin do uh, uh, breakfast twice a week, every week. We talk, and getting Colin's opinion on what he's seeing. Colin's a smart kid. I'm focusing on things, Um, and building those positive relationships, which he might already be doing, and I might be for a couple weeks. That's the thing about the NBA and his group, push being there, but being the connector, but letting the coach, because you got experienced assistant coaches, let them run the skill stuff. But be clear right. about what you want worked on. Be clear about what you want worked on. But let Bernie, Bernie, but Bernie uh, Bickerstaff run it, right? In a way, right. in a way, he the things we want. And then really form that really cold group with my coaches, where we're going day by day with these kids, and we're building their capacity. And his job is just really connecting. You've already apologized to everyone. Continue that relationship with them. All the way out with a high level of emphasis on your young stars, right? You know, whether it's you know whether it's when it's getting warm. Hey, I'm gonna take you. Like, you're gonna be doing this stuff. Let's go golfing. <laughs> we out here, you know.
0: Let's go. You know, college, have you ever
2: golf? Let's go golfing. He got, can, he's got
0: a lot more latitude than he did in the, in the in the college game. He can do those things, you know. Yeah, he can, and, Let, yeah he can do those things. Let's go. If doing this stuff, hey,
2: you, you got. Have you ever golf? Let's go golf. You know, I think those are things you got to do as a college coach. You know, kind of like what, what, uh, 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 what Daly did with Jordan on the Dream Team. They went golfing all the time, right? So, mm-hmm. it's those kind of things I think you can do at the NBA level that he was restricted as a college coach I think would be right in his wheelhouse. That I think that's what kind of coach he'll be great at at, at the league level. He, mm-hmm. He's he better at the league level being a CEO with coordinators, which you can do. A lot of coaches do that very well. Doc Rivers, He'll be closer to Doc Rivers if he's gonna be successful, right? Doc knows the game, but Doc is really comfortable with the coordinator strategy, right? And so I think that's where he's got to go if he's gonna try and get to and spend his time really in the relationship building spot for the rest of the season. Whether that ends up being him not keeping a job or not, those kids will always remain. Uh, 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 uh as young people will always be really connected with the fact that he he didn't just apologize once, but he stayed connected with them all the way through the rest of the season. In a meaningful way. That makes sense. So that—that's exactly. what I would. You know, I think that's the only way he could, he could do it, and I think that does work. I think that works with young folks. You know that it's just not a. Uh, you know I think uh, uh, Darnell hit it right. It's just not this, but they see it in the action day by day by day, and then they they'll they'll rec- they'll recall to that. You know it's a hard thing. He would have been better off saying they play with no heart. I think Darnell's biggest point. He would have been better off saying they soft. Right, right. The they could have been the soft thing versus the yeah versus the thug. and I think if he just said y'all soft and y'all don't listen, they would have been mad at him. But it, he ha- it had another connotation given he this older white man. So I think right. that's the thing. Got to, even though there's nothing in his history with any of the players he's ever coached that shows that that's where he comes from. Right, so wow, we'll, we'll get we'll watch this story uh, and, and 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 keep it going. You guys have been. I, I now I know why I miss y'all. Y'all been on fire.
0: Y'all been on fire over
2: here. All right. The NFL playoffs, they're heating up, y'all. Man, 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 man. This has been quite a playoffs. Now, I was going to come with a whole bunch of uh, 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 takes that I did during the draft of Deshaun Watson, but I didn't want to do that. I I wanted to come with a whole bunch of takes that I did with Lamar Jackson. I was arguing with people about Lamar Jackson. I'm not going to do that. Y'all can go back. Y'all go to realsportsguys.com go back, look for our draft preview sessions and hear those hot takes. But I am so happy watching these young cats do what they do. Uh, it's just, and the, the irony of it, you remember early in the season, you know, we were talking about uh, um, uh, uh, Zeke Elliott. Remember I came back and like, we got, we have this crazy campaign going on running backs. But when you look at the last five years, you look at the total yards from, from uh, the line of scrimmage, you look at all these 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 numbers around touches. It's all running backs. Well, now we're sitting in the playoffs with, with uh like uh, what at least three or four teams in the top, in the top of the NFL in rushing yards. Huh? Yeah. With, yeah. At the end of the day, when it comes down to football in the playoffs, you still have to be able to run the ball. You gotta have somebody you can count on running. <laughs> Right, whether how they're doing it, running the football matters, and you know, and it goes back to someone like Zeke making a case he's making for himself, Le'Veon Bell, and some of these guys making their case, all these analytics. But at the end of the day, the most sure thing is knowing that you can be in second and six, second and four, <laughs> right? That you can operate when you're in second and four, when you're playing in front of the change. I mean, you got younger yeah. there.
0: But but, so, but, you, but you but you also got to look at too. Okay, with the exception of maybe a couple of teams in the NFC, you've got these quarterbacks that's able to run this RPO, okay, and 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 can take off from the pocket and 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 keep you in what you would call your second and six, okay, and, yeah. and you can say you can say that a little bit with Jimmy Garoppolo, you can say it a little bit with um, with Aaron Rodgers, you couldn't say that so much with Drew Brees, you definitely couldn't say it with Tom Brady. And and that really helped these defenses when it came to what we can do to these teams in the playoffs. If you watched any of the playoffs, you watched the game uh, with Minnesota and and New Orleans, New Orleans became a different team with, of all people, Taysom Hill taking taking plays in the offensive side. Mm -hmm. And that really confounded Minnesota for a little bit. But as long as they knew what they were getting, with with Drew Brees, as long as Tennessee knew what they were getting with with Tom Brady, they were able to take out those two Hall of Famers. But 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 when you talk about what you're looking at in the playoffs and what's got everybody so doggone excited, is the athletic talent of Deshaun Watsons? Is the athletic talent of Lamar Jackson? Is the athletic talent? of Pat Mahomes, that you just can't box them up, that they would do something that's just freakishly, you know, make you get out of your house in the dead of January and run around your house in your draws and in your role because they done did something on that football field in the playoffs that you ain't seen in a while. And this is what's making these playoffs so compelling and so intriguing because it used to be that, you know, that, that, that uh, um, you could just sit back in the pocket and pick a team apart. And now, as these teams have realized you're not leaving the pocket quarterback, we got you. And, and, and I didn't even mention your boy, and he's another one, Russell Wilson. All right, Aaron, he's about
2: Aaron, Aaron Rodgers' ability to extend plays, and then you add in. Like, and, 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 and Russell Wilson
0: has, you know, he should be an MVP candidate for what he's done with Seattle this year. Oh, he is. He is. I mean, yeah. absolutely amazing because that's not a team anybody thought was going to come out the West. And win the West, but this is a team that's very dangerous. And it's because of Russell Wilson's uh athletic ability. Um it's just it's it's just more quiet because of what you see with Lamar Jackson and what you saw with Deshaun Watson last week. You know, it's just it's like he's almost forgotten and and, and that team is Ill, is dangerous because of him.
2: So when you when you think about these matchups and um we We know who the marquee players are um and i I'll, I'll go to i'll I'll go to you darnell when you think about kind of Baltimore Tennessee, let's talk about the a f c Baltimore against Tennessee and then kate uh uh Kansas City against Houston when you think about those matchups, who are some of the unsung heroes you think are going to emerge um in some of those matchups?
3: Oh yeah, you know you think in my life, nah, man No, man. Um, with Baltimore you have the tight ends. That um, don't, that don't get a lot of love. You get uh, a guy like Ronnie Stanley. Ronnie Stanley is a an excellent young tackle out of Notre Dame. He had a game where he um he absolutely shut Nick Bosa down. And Nick Bosa is probably going to be the unanimous defensive rookie of the year. And um, and this offensive line, the way that they can move people, is just a refreshing thing in the NFL. And um. In the day and age where um, the analytics is taking over and everybody wants to pass the ball, 50, 50, 40, 50 times a game, you get guys like James Winston that have five thousand yards and thirty interceptions. But um, it proves that now <laughs> running the football is like the mid-range game in basketball it is still an important part of the game. The football, the um. The keys to the game will always be the keys to the game. Just like I say every time we, when we discuss the ball, the game is won and lost in the church. Tennessee Titans, everybody talks about um, Derrick Henry, but you have your boy Taylor Luan from Michigan. You have um, the guard from um, Alabama that played back when they won the championship back in like 2011. They have a, they have a good O-line, too. It's not just Derrick Henry, but Derrick Henry is a monster. But their defense has a whole bunch of unsung heroes. You got um, Kareem Jackson, Kevin Byard. You have a lot of guys. Jarrell Casey, obviously. Um, so these are two teams that I, I like to watch, and this is going to be a fun game to watch.
2: Yeah, and I, I think you hit some uh, uh, a couple of things. And uh, before I go to Hank, I, and, and I would say someone like, even though we know him, but we forget about these players. You know, I, I think because of the way they play, um, you know, uh, Justin Tucker, who I had a chance to watch close uh, per, and personal when we went to training yeah, camp kicker. a couple of years ago, uh, the kicker. I mean, I think when you think about when you when you have an advantage like a guy like this who um, is, has an incredible um, uh, percentage in terms of kicking uh, from various distances, uh, th- that makes all the difference uh, in the world. I mean, he was, I think he would say he was, uh, he was uh, 10 of 11 from between 49 and 50. He's one for one, 50 plus. I mean, have you ever seen him kick? But he's nine for nine from 30 to 39. He's eight for eight from 20 to 20. So, I mean, there's, you know, you get it. When you talk about these games being close and you got to make decisions about scheme, when you can when you can count on a guy like that, that gets, he's almost like, you know, when Kerr was playing with the Bulls, not, you know, that's a cat. If you leave, you leave him open, he's going to knock that three down. I think he is one of them, uh, you know, them, them unsung heroes. And uh, I mean, the kickers are going to play in all these games, such at a very important point. But I think he could be, you know, he's a he's a Hall of Fame. You know, you're talking about kickers. He's a Hall of Fame on the edge type kicker uh, that we don't we don't talk about like Venitari. But this guy, who also could have been, I think, uh, opera singer, uh, can can be a difference maker in there. When you think about the AFC, uh, hey, I mean, I think Darnell did a good job of breaking it out. Are there some other hung, unsung heroes? The AFC, know? or just yeah, overall? Between with Baltimore, Tennessee, KC, and Houston, we'll get to the NFC. Okay. Well, no
0: listen. Team. When I when I when I look at these when I look at these, um, it, it it's hard for me to to not look at Kansas City and not look at uh, Kelsey. Okay. Uh, the tight end for Kansas City, I think that he's got to be. Um, so goes he, I think. So goes that offense. I I, I think that um, Pat Mahomes, well, he's got cause he, cause he can get the ball out from anywhere. Okay, so he, he he's the easy one to talk about. Uh, that running game is not what I thought it was going to be at the beginning of the of the, of the year. Um, What's with, with the running back they they got from the Eagles, Williams? Football, Williams, football.
2: But I think he could be an unsung awesome hero. He's been hurt, right?
0: I think. Yeah. I think yeah so, 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 but, that's, but but, but because of that, because I can't necessarily rely upon that. It's gonna take, t- it's gonna take Pat Mahomes' legs, and it's gonna take Travis Kelsey getting open. You know, when he breaks the pocket, uh, he can have a big game. He can have a very big game. Um, uh, and, and that's, what, that's, what, that's the the game that intrigues me the most. Okay, simply because. Uh, you know, Kansas City, they they looked like they were going to be world beaters. Then they kind of fell on hard times when the injuries started to hit them. And now they're starting to come back a little bit. So I'm, I'm paying real close attention to that one. But, see, I'm one of those. Um, I, I'm one of those that I'm, I'm pulling hard for Kansas City. And I'm pulling extremely hard for for uh, Baltimore. I want to see that matchup. I, I really want to take nothing away from uh, Deshaun Watson. Okay, take nothing away from him. I don't think that Watson. the that his, the rest of his team as a whole uh should have got there. I think I don't know if, if uh Houston won more or less than Buffalo lost. Okay, because Josh Allen, you know, he's a liability from for from, from way back. But I but I, that that is one I would get the popcorn ready for in that AFC championship game. I really pull in for that matchup. I really want to see that. Baltimore Kansas City.
2: It was almost like Josh Allen had a mental breakdown. Like he was trying yeah. to push the ball to people. It was like Josh Allen was drunk. It was a great game, and he just lost his mind. Would you say that I
3: said Josh Allen was drunk. I don't know what was going on with my man, man. He played a. He actually did make a lot of good plays. Like he he showed flashes of being a very good quarterback, and then he throws a fifty-fifty ball to his um to his fullback forty forty yards down the field huh That's
0: what you call, you know. They changed when they when they, when they got choking in the dictionary. They got his picture sitting up there.
2: Uh, so I, I would say my and on that game, my unsung hero, because they they've always been seen as a liability, is the Kansas City defense. I think yeah. the uh, the I think uh, the the uh, acquisition because he wanted to go back to Baltimore, Baltimore with Terrell Suggs. I think he's going to make a difference. He'll make one big play. He knows. I mean, sometimes you need a guy in a lock. Again, just like we talked about Cleveland, you need that person in the locker room. Who's been there, who understands it. And you put him in the mix with some of the other players they got right now on that defense. I mean, I think they could be a really good playoff defense. Um, And, you know, it's funny the last time what they won the super bowl, they had, they had some hall of famers on defense. They had some great players on defense uh, way back in the day. So it, you know, um, you know, you got him and, and, and you know, if they get healthier, you know, Frank Clark and some of those cats up front can, uh, uh, you know, put some he pressure gets. on and a guy like Suggs, he can, he makes plays. He somehow finds his way around the football at an important time. You know, you put him in on a third down and he just makes a play and here he doesn't have to play every down. You just got to put him in when you need him and let him be special, special when you need him to be special. And I think he's capable of of doing. It. He's like the Lou Williams of defense. <laughs> he gonna come off the bench and make some stuff happen. Um, Darnell, I heard you were gonna say something.
3: No, I I just added name, Chris Jones. Chris Jones, the marker in there.
2: Yep. Yes. Oh, yes. D-line. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I just think that, and and I I just think that they are are going to be, um, uh, and then you, you know, you 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 got uh uh you know Matthew uh as well. I mean, he's been playing in the box and, you know, um, just a solid uh, player. So I, That defense, I think, you know, as much as they talk about the offense, uh, could be it. So, so now we're at prediction time for the AFC. Uh sounds like, uh, uh, Hank, you were looking at Baltimore and Kansas City.
0: You know what? I'm looking for that. Maybe not for the breakdown, okay? that That's just for, for, for pure entertainment. I, I just got to tell you, I, for pure entertainment alone, and maybe for a little pride, you know, it would be, you, you know, we, we've got a real good chance here of having two, you know, African American quarterbacks, you know, playing for a chance to go to a Super Bowl, um, which which would, which which would be something to see in and of itself. But taking that aside, just two different types of athletes. Going at it, you know, Pat Mahomes and his just freakishly way of throwing the ball around, and then Lamar Jackson's athleticism on Baltimore side. I would just like to see that. I, I, I think that that would just be a fun game to watch. I, and that takes nothing away from the job that that Tennessee has done or or Houston has done. But let's let's, let's face it, you know, I don't think a lot of folks thought that uh that um Tennessee was gonna go into Foxborough last week and beat New England. I mean I think I think it was it was a it was a glamour pick but you thought that Tom Brady and them would get it done in the in the end and they simply could not and they and they looked pedestrian. When you look at the other game, you know, again we just talked about it. Did did Houston win it or did Buffalo lose it? So moving on now you got you've got um you got uh Buffalo I mean I'm sorry you got you got you got Houston against um Huh? No no, no. <laughs> no, no, I No, I I that, that was a slip. I said you 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 just you you got to you got to take you just got to take uh, uh I, to me I I I got to take the home teams here. You got to take Baltimore, you got to take uh Kansas City. I just think that just at the quarterback positions, those guys can just do so many different things. And then you talk about Kansas City's defense, which is now getting healthy. And Baltimore was known for their defense. And Bravo to John Harbaugh for changing up his offense to really make it get conducive for Lamar Jackson, so that they can be that that explosive offense. So you know that's that's what I'm looking for in the AFC.
2: All right, Youngin, who who you got in the, in the AFC? You know what? I got a hunch that
3: um. Houston's gonna pull it off. Um, I I I just don't want to bet against Deshaun Watson when the game is on the Cause like Dabo Swinney he said, he's like the Michael Jordan of football. I don't know if he's as talented as Michael Jordan, but when the game is on the line, he does have that clutch factor that can't be denied. So I got Houston and Baltimore. Even though um, Tennessee can can put up a a very very good fight because they speak the language, but that, that um. Baltimore speaks. They can do a lot of similar things um, as far as running the football, controlling the clock, keeping Baltimore off the um, off the field, just the way that um, Baltimore does. They can um, play a uh, they can play a field position game as well. They have good guys on defense and a good um, off of the line, good running back, good running game. So I can see Tennessee winning, but I doubt, I, I don't think so because Baltimore, the way that they're on. They're just such a, a, a hot football team right now, and I think
2: um, it's going to be Baltimore and Houston. Uh, no, that's a great analysis. Now, I've been going back and forth on this. I, I think Baltimore is going to win for the same reason. I think it's going to be a great game. I just think there's a difference at quarterback in terms of who can be electric and make plays, and I just think, you know, if you've ever been to Baltimore, that's a tough place to win. Um, and they just are going to grind out. It's going to be a heavyweight fight. I mean, it's going to be a lot of stuff. I think. Uh, someone talked about today. I think what Tennessee will do is give you insight into how you stop that offense. And I do think well, someone was talking about today, and I've been thinking about it this a long time. what you stop that offense is you go back and look at Oklahoma, Nebraska under Tom Osborne, and that's what they run. And what would you do? You know, how do you do? Where do you slant? How do you? What's your principles? You basically play an option offense with the idea if you if you start with those principles, now you got people in the right place in right position to play against that offense. you still got to figure out how you, how you, uh, you, you, you get down the quarterback, which in all those offenses back in the day had electric quarterbacks who could take it to the house. But, but if you start with that, those principles around playing against, uh, uh, you know, a, uh, uh, option offense that you might face that Oklahoma on the Switzer or, uh, you know, or, you know, uh, you know the kind of offense you might see on the Osborne. If you start with that philosophy. I think I think you're going to see that display. It just ain't going to be good enough. And so that's all I'm. You know, and then the Tucker factor that in, in in his home stadium he can score from anywhere. And so they can they can nickel and dime you until they break away. So that's what I see. The Kansas City one. I think for all the things that the youngins said. I think um, I love Watson. I like Mahomes. I just love the Watson story. I just think he is so underrated right now. Even though he is playing well, I don't think people appreciate what he's doing, given everything that's been happening with that team over the year. He's making O'Brien look good. And that's hard to do. And because he just refuses to lose. He's already been to Kansas City and won. So he ain't afraid to go in there. Uh, I think it's going to be a tight one, but I think they're going to lose by a simple uh, Mahomes no-look pass. I think I think, that, I think there's going to be Mahomes face down Brady last year and should have outdueled him. And I think this is the time to break through. I think the only thing that can hold him back is Andy Reid. Because Andy Reid in big games like this finds a way to do something crazy. And I don't think he gets as many criticisms for how he fails in these kind of big games as any coach. I think the only thing that can hold him back is if Andy Reid, for some reason, gets really conservative. Uh, but I think it's going to be a close one. I think we're going to end up with a Kansas City-Baltimore matchup, but it's going to come down to who has the ball last. And if Deshaun has the ball last, then I'm going to be wrong. All right, we're going to go to the NFC. Woo! That one's that one's even deadlier. So I'm I'm going to pose the same question. I'm going to start with you, Hank. Out of these two games, who 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 are you seeing as unsung heroes?
0: You know what? And I find and, and and I heard. I'm having a hard time even saying it. You hear me stuttering. But the unsung hero has got to be, long pause, Kirk Cousins. It's got to be <laughs> Kirk Cousins. And let me tell you why. Because if 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 Dalvin Cook is able to run the football against uh, that San Francisco defensive front, one thing I see about Kirk Cousins is that play action, that, that same offensive state that he did at Michigan State, if he's got time to really to to scan the field to put the ball where he wants to put the ball, he can in spurts be dangerous. Now I'm gonna tell you something. You say what you want to about pass interference on that last play, but that pass, the last two passes he threw in overtime last week against the New Orleans were dimes. They was right on the money, okay. And if he if he does that, we already if you've been paying close attention to the Minnesota Vikings, uh, Kirk Cousins is the reason why they did not win the division, because the defense was playing sound. They was playing stout, okay, against everybody. But he was just crapping the bed all over the place. All of a sudden, he found something last week, okay? And, and that I don't and look here, New Orleans' defense ain't no slouch. Their defense is no slouch at all, okay? And they weren't down there on the road, and he had to make plays down the stretch to get them. New Orleans never got the ball back. So that was on the quarterback making the throws he needed to make. Um. And so now they're going to San Francisco, okay? And, and San Francisco has been playing lights out. But, again, uh, Minnesota's defense has been playing solid the last few weeks. They're playing uh, championship defense. What has to happen is uh, can they possess the ball? That's what Dalvin Cook. But but they if they load the box to stop Dalvin Cook, does Kirk Cousins make those throws that he made last week and pull off the upset? With that being said, he's got to be the unsung hero. I, 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 and, and something inside of me says that he's going he's gonna to pull off that stunt because I didn't pick Minnesota to do nothing, especially beating New Orleans. But but I can I can see this being uh, the same kind of game we saw last week in New Orleans.
2: Well, you, you hit. I think uh, I, the Kirk Cousin one is is a, is a great one. Uh, uh, Darnell, who you, uh, for these games, who you see in emerging unsung heroes? Fred Warner.
3: Fred Warner, especially with um, Minnesota, the running game being a focal point of their <coughs> offense. Even though they do have great, great, uh, not great receivers, but very good receivers, and when they come together, they become a great receiving core. With Adam Thielen and um and Stephon Diggs, and you can throw Kyle Rudolph in there too, cause he's a part of that. He, he catches a lot of passes. But um, Trey Warner in the middle, he's an unsung hero. He's been an unsung hero for the team all year long. And he, with him, and when you get um Quan Alexander confirmed, he is coming back from the playoffs. He is gonna be back in in in, in uniform. So him. In the middle, I have him as my unsung hero because he is going to be the X factor for the game and stopping the run and patrolling the middle for all the crossing routes and all the intermediate stuff that Adam Thielen is so adept at doing, and Kyle Rudolph as well. So I think Fred Warner is the unsung hero for the weekend.
2: Wow, those are great, great, great things. And and I would add, and since y'all picked some from that game, from the uh, Seattle uh, Green Bay game, I'm gonna say DK Metcalf. I mean, his first postseason playoff game, uh, he's beginning to come in his own. If you think about him late in the season, he's beginning to kind of find his way. He was someone we we, we all kind of touched on when we started doing our preseason uh, preview, and we we got to talking about the uh, NFC West. You know, as you know, just what kind of kid is this guy going to be? You know, and he had 160 yards receiving, I think, in his uh, in his debut. Uh, average 22 yards uh, per catch I think he and Russell are beginning to get connected and he's' there's some trust is being built um you know Green Bay it, it, Green Bay's lost some games on the road Russell's not um, a stranger to playing in Wisconsin at, at all when it's cold um, he's almost he's coming home and so I I, I was I, I'm really interested I've been really watching DK this year and like uh, just I'm really loving to see where his trajectory goes. Um, But I I think he can be one of those unsung heroes, uh, you know, uh, in this playoff weekend uh, as well. And and then um, I would say, you know, uh, for the Green Bay side, the unsung hero is going to be Matt LeFleur in a sense that his continued uh, development and partnership with, uh, with, with uh, Aaron Rodgers is going to be an important key here. Um, some of the things I think Matt LaFleur wants to do for this team offensively are the kinds of things that went in the playoffs, but are those the things that uh, um, uh, are, uh, are, are, you know, are we going to be able to see that that partnership is really coming together? Meaning this is where people realize that Aaron Jones is important part of this. And can that be uh, an acceptable part of the game plan, or are we going to find ourselves going away from that uh, in a key playoff game? The balance that he's been fighting with Aaron Rodgers to be able to have, you know, if we if Aaron Jones becomes the real focal point of this game and really establishes himself, that means that Matt Lafleur is 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 his 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 philosophy is winning out. If Aaron Rodgers, is, if Aaron Jones isn't as much just by the way in which they call the games or the audibles end up happening, then that means that Matt Lafleur is still in and having his tension with with Aaron Rodgers about it. And so the way that relationship and game planning plays out is going to be very important uh, going up against uh, this Seattle team. Wow. Well, hey, we almost had game time with them, so. We 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 got a lot going on. I, I love the analysis you got. Both of you guys have been bringing uh, to the table. Uh, this has been this is more than I even thought it would be. One of the things I did we didn't hit on. I didn't have a rundown before we get out and we go into uh, a boxing moment uh, with Darnell um, uh, to, to to hit on that for that segment. We didn't talk about Tom Brady, and I'll start with you, Hank. There's a lot of speculation about Tom Brady and where uh, they go from here. Um, what's your observation of what's happening there? What would you do? What would you? How would you advise Tom Brady? What do you think is going to happen next? I haven't had my eye on the ticker, so something might have happened while we were we've been doing the show and preparing the show. But, but uh, what, what's your thought about uh, where what's going to happen next with Tom Brady and New England?
0: Well, well, well. News update: They say he signed a new two-year deal, so he's not going okay. anywhere. Um But the no. other piece with Tom Brady is that. It's it's evident, it's clear that what used to work with New England just is not gonna work anymore. Okay. He's gonna have to put they're gonna have to put some playmakers on the outside for him. They're gonna have to put a playmaker in the slot for him and they're gonna have to do they're gonna have to get him a tight end, another Gronk like tight end. Otherwise they're just going to bog down. Everybody knows the story of Tom Brady and being forty something years old now, he's not gonna move out the pocket. Um, they're going to have to fortify certain things if they're going to be able to, to win. That's what it comes down to. Um, he, he he The thing is, they had no semblance of a running game late in the season. Okay, they took the slot away from him, and he had no deep threat. Okay, he didn't have a gronk, nobody that could, that he had no mismatches in the secondary for anybody else, and that defense, their offense simply could not move. He did all he could do. And then, let's just face it, he's getting older. I didn't see a lot of the accuracy that I saw from Tom Brady in the past. So, what you're going to see is uh the decline of a great ball player, football player that, you know, needs to understand when it's time to give it up. Now, he might but but my feeling is, you know, uh if he can stay healthy, but his next big injury, he's done. But, you know, it, it it was painful to watch. I don't I don't think anybody watching that game, even if you're a New England, Patriots fan, and you thought that team was exciting to watch. That was not exciting football to me, you know. And the fact that uh, that uh, Derrick Henry and Houston, were they would just run the ball down their throat, possess the ball, and when Tom Brady got the ball back, they couldn't generate any offense. It, it was it was painful. It was like going uphill, you know, on on, on ice skates. You know, it just on, on you know it w you know in the middle of winter. It just it was it was hard to watch.
2: So, so Brady uh, signs a new deal. Uh, Darnell, is that where you would have gone? Um, You you know, is that the way you would have handled it? I mean, yeah, an opportunity to do the sunset. It's
3: um, if if I'm Tom Brady, it's Patriots or bust. Like if I'm if I'm not gonna play with the Patriots, I might as well hang it up because it means something to um be twenty years with one franchise like like a Chem Duncan, like a like a Kobe Bryant, like a Dirk Nowitzki, like a Larry Bird. Well Larry Bird didn't play told twenty years, but you know what I'm saying? Being a long tenured <laughs> player with um, the same franchise. That's, that means something to be synonymous with the Patriots with the six rings. Even though um all the rings that the franchise won has been bought with Tom Brady. But I think um legacy wise he made the right move. Now the onus is on the Patriots' side to um, go acquire adequate weapons. Um, if the, if I'm the Patriots, what I want to do is I want to trade up, and by any means necessary, I want C.D. Lamb on my team. If I can get C.D. Lamb and then go get a um, another option later in the draft, then I think we could be set C.D. Lamb, uh, um, another receiver, and, um, Julian Edelman and the Kill Harry, I, I I can go forward with that. So um, mm-hmm. I think he made the right move by staying with the Patriots because that defense isn't going nowhere either as long as everybody yeah. comes back.
2: Yeah, and you know, and he could always call you know Matt Patricia, who's willing to give a brother-in-law a deal and maybe get Hawker Center tied in and, and move him over there for for like a, a fifth round draft pick. It's one more move he could probably <laughs> do his former former players or former coaches. A Fifth round um, draft pick.
3: <laughs> they just drafted them top
2: ten last year. <laughs> I know, but you know, that, that that's something that Detroit that's... would do, right? You and I and would.
0: do they, 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 they You watch it. They're gonna butcher that draft. They got the third pick. I guarantee you. We when we have that show, I'm coming back to this, but y'all mark it right now. They're gonna butcher that draft, and somebody's gonna <laughs> have to <laughs> put me, and somebody's gonna have to put me in a straitjacket because I will not be able to handle it. <laughs>
2: And and then Dallas finally gets their man. Oh, did they? Uh, We got McCarthy, uh, uh, which I think is, I actually think that's a really good selection, to tell you the truth. The more I thought about it, I was like, I think this is going to be a good selection for the Cowboys. He's the right kind of coach. Um, You you know, he's also bringing, uh, you know, a a veteran DC with him uh, who's really good. And I think they're positioned to control the locker room. And I think he's less worried about. Uh, what Jerry says. I mean, I think he's much more on his career. He's not worried about what Jerry does in press conferences. I think he might be the right pick. But when you heard McCarthy, I'll go to you, Darnell. I mean, you heard the Cowboys make this pick. What do you what do you, what do you think will happen here? I, I think he's going to have some success. I don't know how much more, but I think he's going to have success. I think he's nowhere but up, up here based on what Jason Garrett did. But what do you think?
3: I'll take you up um... He he is known as a, as a very good offensive mind, and he has um, very good weapons at his disposal. You have um, Mari Cooper, you have um, Michael Gallup, you have um, Ezekiel Elliott, and you have Tony Pollard, and other uh, and other too. So um, and uh, not to mention, of course, the quarterback and Dak Prescott, which is a guy. Um, and Mike McCarthy, he didn't uh, um, doesn't necessarily end off on the best terms with um, Aaron Rodgers, but as a personality, Dak Prescott seems to be the guy that would get along with the coach, and he's not as abrasive to uh, – I think – I don't know if abrasive would be the right word, but, um, you know, um, Aaron Rodgers has his way of he, – because he, rightfully so, is a great player, but um, – he has the sort of ego about him that I don't necessarily think that Dak Prescott has. I think Dak Prescott is more cut out of the Russell Wilson, Tom Brady mode as opposed to the Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers kind of mode. But, so I think that
0: would be a good fit. So i I like to hire him.
2: What say you, Hank? I think I, I think you're right on point. What do what, what you think <coughs> about it?
0: Uh, Newsflash. Mike McCarthy is a good coach. He's a damn good yes. coach, and 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 yeah. this is a great fit for Dallas. This is probably the best he has been a good
2: coach, coach in Detroit
0: coach uh, Detroit. uh, what Barry Switzer or somebody like that. This is this is a great hire for them. Okay, he knows how to win in the playoffs. He knows, you know, he knows how to win the championships. And just because he couldn't get along with Aaron Rodgers, and and then when you go back and you find out that Aaron Rodgers has turned into somewhat of a prima donna. Uh, I think it's I think it's good news for Dak Prescott. I think that when you look at everything that uh that Dallas has to offer, okay, whether you're a Dallas fan or not, they have a lot of talent on that team that for some reason was underachieving. Okay, and for some reason looked like that they just weren't prepared in certain cases. And I know that uh uh Garrett was, was Jerry Jones or Jerry's other son. I mean, they, that's the way he treated him because it just didn't seem like he was the right fit at all for the Dallas Cowboys. And so now they've got a coach over there that, that has a pedigree and knows how to win and has the talent to do it right away. Uh, when you look at the NFC East, okay, that was Dallas's, uh, um division to win. There was no competition for them there, and they could not get it done. All right? And so now you've got a team that, that you, you could argue is probably the best team talent-wise in that division with a coach that knows how to get that team prepared to win championships. They're going to be a dangerous squad next year. And like, like Darnell said, they've got the talent, but they've got the talent on defense too. They've got a solid defense as well. So that's going to be a team that, that's, that you know, they're going to be one of those that really quick is going to turn it around, is going to be division winner and, and a Super Bowl contender. Yeah. All
2: right. Well, um, this is really good. You listen to RSG, uh, one mic. Uh, we got my man, Hank and Darnell and myself, uh, Devon here. We've been covering a lot of topics, uh, that have been fun to, to cover. Um, we're about to enter what I call a boxing moment with Darnell. We have a, a number of things happening with boxing. Um, we have a really great podcast. We like to do a little short segment here uh, as part of the one mic with him, uh, because it's, uh, uh, there's been a, there's been a change in boxing that we want to hit uh, with. So I want to give a young man his proper introduction. Hey,
3: I'm the greatest thing that I ever and I don't have a mark on my face. I'm the greatest thing that I ever and I don't have a mark on my face. And I'm upset, and listen. And I just turned 22 years old. I must be the greatest. I told the world. I talk to God.
2: Darnell must be the greatest. Uh, we got an awesome boxing moment here with Darnell. Darnell, I guess somebody found a crosswalk, man. I guess somebody, you know, <laughs> I put that, I put that, I put that little tweet out uh, when uh, Crawford went off talking about, you know, to, uh, Errol Spence and all those guys about people being on the other side of the street, and I said, well, they usually put crosswalks on the street so it make it easier for those who want to cross the street. then <laughs> I made he had Dougie Fisher he liked my tweet, and then he he. He uh, uh, retweeted it. I think he did. Uh, it, 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 found, it sounded like uh, between the two of them, uh, they got their GPS together and found out there are some places where they can cross the street. So it, it looks like there might be a deal happen between Crawford and Spence, which would feel like Hearns and uh, Sugar Ray. It's just like Hagler, Hearns. It feels like it's that kind of fight. What are you hearing? What am I? Am I reading it to you? That's what people are talking about. What do you What do you, What do you feel is going to happen there?
3: Man, to me, the wrong side of the street talk. That whole conversation is dead to me. Last, but we we spoke about this last Time, the Tyson Fury, and um, Deontay Wilder fight. That bridge, that um, that street, that built the um, so called crosswalk between the between the street because um. As you know, Titan Fury is signed to Top Way. Deontay Wilder is signed with PBC. And um they're doing the P- and they're doing the pay per view in, in February And guess who's doing the um pretty much most of the promotion? Guess who's doing the broadcast and all that kind of stuff? ESPN and Talk Way. So De- Deontay Wilder, he crossed the street. Why can't okay. says do the same?
2: Because the money's so big. And and it, it, the thing about it is, do, are we also finding that one of the great strategies, what I think Crawford did, he went on a, a really intentional social media campaign to provide us with a, uh, a, a way in which you could apply public pressure on your own. Because I think he had an effective social media campaign. What do you think?
3: I think it was, too. But at the same time, um, it's been long overdue because um, it's it's been like a lot uh, it's been a lot of time of uh, everybody saying, well, bud doesn't talk he doesn't talk to anybody he doesn't um he 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 he's never really called out or out like loudly you know what I'm saying boisterously the, the way um floyd mayweather or guys like um charlo and stuff would um talk in press conferences, he doesn't necessarily do all that he he said in the interview with Andre Ward, Andre Ward was saying, maybe you should start going at these guys if you want to fight. And, and, um, and I, I guess it's working, but, um, they said they agreed to fight. I don't think, but uh, I'm pretty sure it's not going to be next because, um, Eddie Pacquiao, he's going to PBC and he said he wants to next. And, um, Mat- Pacquiao, he's a legend. Um, he doesn't, he, he's not obligated to do anything in my mind, even though he is a champion, but he he is what we call an opportunity. Like, um, mm-hmm. uh, we said last time before the Keith Sermon fight, Keith Sermon, he had that long layoff. I think it was almost two years, 22 months, something like that. He came back and fought Jose Lopez, and he got, he got hurt bad in that fight. He almost got stopped in that fight. And then, um, Without hesitation, Manny Pacquiao gets on the phone. Manny Pacquiao wants to fight. And that's the fight that Keith him has been on for a long time. So of course he jumped on it. And um same thing with Earl Spence. Earl Spence got the a car accident, everybody knows. And um he's gonna be recovering. He's not gonna have a necessarily a tune up fight before it. So Manny's like, This is my chance. This is my chance to jump in there. And
2: um so you think do you think Manny's learning something from Floyd? Floyd was ultimate time, but Manny Pacquiao.
3: Maddie Pacquiao had, didn't just start being an opportunity last week, man. Manny Pacquiao, he he, brought um, he is the catchweight king, man. Uh, it, when it comes <laughs> to the Margarito fight, it comes to the Cotto fight, it comes to Austin De La Hoya fight. Um, he fought all of those. He didn't fight any of those guys at the actual weight class. He fought um Margarito at like fifty two or fifty one or something like that. He fought um. He fought um de la Jolla somewhere similar. He fought Cotto in like 142 or 143 or some catch weight like that. So, um, him and Canelo are kind of on the same route, in my opinion. And him and Floyd, I, Floyd is opportunist as well. I'm not denying that as well. I'm not denying that. But, um, you got Floyd, Manny Pacquiao, Canelo Alvarez, a lot of guys are opportunities. opportunist. He's not single in one person. That's the state of the game today. But,. Um, that's pretty much why I think Manny Pacquiao is going to take this fight. And I'm not complaining because I think it's going to move the division forward, right? Because um, in the place where it was, you're always always going to have girls waiting waiting to get the Pacquiao fight first before he fights Terrence Crawford. And um, if Mm -hmm. Manny Pacquiao was going to wait and – Ultimately, not take a fight. We're not, we weren't going to be able to get the trans cross the fight the twenty twenty one, twenty twenty two. So I think it's just it's just moving the division forward, and I'm glad for that.
2: Well, I'm happy that you're glad for that because we need that. Um, um, now what? we
3: just need to get on Charlo.
2: You said you to get on Charlo.
3: Man, everybody knows I love Charlo. Charlo is one of my favorite fighters. we had Dougie on, he asked me who's my favorite fighter. I said if I had to choose one, it would probably be Charlo. But it's my boy, but at the same time, he he was offered $7 million to cross the street and go to the zone to fight Demetrius Andrade. $7 million. And you look at that guy, Jamal Charlo, he, he has barely, he, uh, I shouldn't say barely, because a no, million dollars is a lot of money. But he's making about million a million dollars to fight. And this is seven times his biggest pay game. And so, it will be very hard for me to defend my guy if, if he doesn't take this fight. So, that's something I need to see out of Jamal Charlo. Just to the topic of crossing streets.
0: <laughs> wow!
2: Wow! Wow! You came out on him. You came out on him. Uh, if you want to talk about a little bit about, you know, the heavyweight divisions uh, revving up a little bit here, we get some fights set up. Uh, you talked a little bit about the uh, Wilder fight coming up. Uh, can you give us a little preview of what, where we're going on with that for people who haven't been paying attention? Well,
3: they fought already before, so it's going to be a rematch. Um, Otto, um, Otto Wallen. Tyson Terry ends up fighting two no-name fighters and um, and Tom Schwartz and Otto Wallen. Otto Wallen ends up being a lot tougher than we expected, a lot a lot more difficult challenge, but, um, and, and that was the fight where Tyson Fury got set. so we don't necessarily know how his face is going to react to, um, taking shots from Deontay Wilder, but we're going to see come February 22nd, so, um, it's going to be interesting, because we got to see what adjustments were made on both sides, um, what is Tyson Fury going to do? Is Tyson Fury going to actually move forward? Like he said, he, he said he's going to try to move forward more in this fight, and that could be a smart idea because you're going to try to smother uh, the the um, length of Deontay Wilder. Because so Deontay Wilder's power was when he gets the extension on that um, long right hand. So if he can get inside and make sure he doesn't, he can't really extend his arm, Maybe you can take away the power of Deontay Wilder. But also that's a dangerous proposition because if you answer one of those shots, it's going to be good night. It <laughs> you're good. on Wilder's side. Yeah, if, you, if you're on the other side, if you're on Wilder's side. You gotta fi- you gotta figure out how am I going to close distance? If I have to um I have to prepare for um for um Tyson Fury as a as a um as a boxer because he did last time. If he's boxing from the outside, how am I going to close distance? How am I going to Win the round while win rounds while I'm trying to knock them out, or am I going to just bank on getting a knock up, on a without taking into account for winning the rounds? So that's where the hmm. interesting part is, where the adjustments are.
2: Well, we we are we are going to be excited, and uh, you go to RealSportsGuys.com and check out. I mean, um, uh, you know, Darnell's put up some great content uh, around boxing for us, and just we open up a new door here at Real Sports Guys, um, so uh, please go check that out. We got we're gonna have another podcast, a full podcast, uh, boxing moment coming out uh, here soon because we gotta get back into the business. There's a lot going on in in 2020. We're gonna go right into the cipher. Call the call the All right, I'm gonna set the table for this, and then I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna let uh, Hank. Uh, kick us off and and just drop some science a little bit here for a little bit. But the big question, we talked a little bit about the hirings. Obviously we we focused on Green Bay and uh, we focused on uh, what was happening there uh, in terms of their hiring and and, and, and what that means as well. But in in the sense that we had some other hirings uh, with Joe Judge uh, over in New York, Uh, this is a guy who was a special team coach, no coordinator experience. And, it raised a lot of questions, debate about what's happening with uh, the opportunities for minority coaches when you only have one, um, you know, black GM, you have three uh, coaches of color in the NFL with, with a league that's 70% black and, and, and whether or not um, the Rooney rule is officially dead in that, you know, the systemic issues that exist uh, historically in the NFL, uh, still persist in a way that owners just don't see uh, the importance of, thinking about the impact of diversity on success in their organizations. But, you know, uh, I want to just, Hank, I just wanted to go to you first. I'm, just going, I'm going to, I'm on the sidelines and let you have a little bit of uh, thought on it. And then Darnell, when he's done, why don't you just jump in with your thoughts?
0: Okay, thank you. Listen, this is a real tough question for me, okay? Because when you look at the, even though you say it is, it's, it's, a, it's a 70-30 split, when you start talking about coaches of color, Versus, uh, you know, coaches not a color. If it wasn't for rules like the Rooney Rule, you don't even have that. Okay, you have the good old boy network going and hiring guys that that you know have no experience anyway. Okay, at least you got guys that get in their face, and you could talk to them. And 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 guys like Mike Tomlin, guys like that, have an opportunity to uh, to to coach and, and, and to be successful. So I can't call, I can't say that it's dead. But what bothers me when we talk about this that's even more frustrating is the what happens once the coaches get the jobs. Okay? You see more coaches of color that um, you know aren't given the same amount of time to 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 build their teams, to develop their teams when it's already they're ready to go into another direction. You know, I look at the coach, uh, the coach that 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 was in Denver last year. Okay, um, his name escapes me, but he was gone after one year. I look at Jim Caldwell here in Detroit, who had a winning record and had gone to the playoffs three of the four years he was here in Detroit. Or, or two of the four years he was here in Detroit with a franchise that is historically bad and yet loses his job It was told he wasn't good enough and to a coach that that's much markedly worse, and he keeps his job for a third year with no idea of what the hell he's doing. These are the things that frustrates me when we talk about the Rooney Rule. I don't say that it's dead because some of these coaches have gotten opportunities that let's just face it, they probably wouldn't have gotten. Now, does it need some tweaking? Absolutely it needs some tweaking. But you know, um, but but once they get a job, there needs to be some sort of stipulation in my in my opinion that give these coaches a chance to at least try to develop their their teams versus some sort of cockamamie though they can't get it done or it ain't good enough, and then their predecessor who may be somebody that is that is Anglo Saxon if you will, and they get all the time in the world to destroy the thing. And then you get those guys get back again, and then uh, uh, a brother of color again, and then he can't keep his job ten minutes. That's what bothers me about the whole thing. I'm glad we brought this up because it's not about getting out there. If you give somebody an opportunity, anything can happen. But what happens after you get the opportunity? You know, give them the same opp- give them the same chance to to you know, epically fail that you would your your white brother.
3: Well, in my I agree pretty much wholeheartedly with what he was saying, what what Heg was saying. And in my opinion, I don't understand I don't I don't um see where we can improve upon this. Like where can you um I don't I don't think you can legislate diversity in this um arena as far as forcing teams to hire minority coaches. But um so I, I don't see I don't see the other side I don't see um the other side of the tunnel and if I will as far as that um analogy goes but um yeah it's 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 tough because we, um you want like the rule is a good rule as far as um in principle because you want to have representation in um as far as in opportunity. Because at least you have at least one minority um, to get a opportunity to um, get in the safe and interview for the job. But you can't necessarily tell the owners you have to hire a minority. So it's tough. And I agree wholeheartedly with Hank because they say we're always the last hired and the first to be fired. And that's one thing that we always heard and it's still true today. So, um that's one thing we've got to overcome, and I don't know how,
1: but it's going to be a road. The runner.
2: Hello, we
3: still on? I'm here. Where would I go? Yeah, I uh, I don't know. So
2: do you have any more hey, thoughts? Hey, I was talking. Talk, hey, sorry about that. I was I was talking to y'all in here. I was talking to y'all in here. I I was I was uh, yelling, making my point, and I didn't realize I, I had put my mic on mute. So let me make the point I was making before, is that um. You, you, the state of Oregon has proven to make the Rooney Rule work. They, their legislators, uh, basically utilize the Rooney Rule because historically it believes how do you create a, a pipeline where people can actually um, be seen and have the opportunity to have presentation is do that. If you look at the hiring, uh, particularly even at Oregon, um, the, the the what three uh, of their last three coaches are, you know, two African Americans and uh, Cuban Americans. So the, the pipeline, if you honor it, is is in understanding provides an opportunity for access and everything else. The problem we have here is the goalpost keeps moving. And what I've always, what I always said is that it's hard to build that type of rule to work in a place that has embedded what I call cultural nepotism. Meaning that that the relationships, when we talk about coaching trees. Well, the the, the 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 fruit of the tree in the bottom of the tree as it comes from the same cultural dynamics. So the tree is keeping producing the same type of fruit. There's there has been with the tree. There there has no been. So when you look at when you look at the coaching conferences, when you look at who looks at who, these are built on relationships where people start out as GAs, and when you have a high percentage of those positions not going to brown and black folks, this is what you come up with when you have this coaching tree, this kind of tree phenomenon. And you can't break that unless you diversify the tree. And so that's why a lot of the tree, a lot of the diversity can be linked back to somebody like Tony Dungy, right? Because not because he's just naturally <laughs> to be looking at a diverse staff. And so he's going to be cultivating not only white uh, uh, coaches, but he's got black coaches. And so you look at the diversity of the folks who actually, you link them back to people like Dungy. You'll probably have the same thing with Tomlin because uh do it. You know, I think Andy Reid has done what he's supposed to do. He got he got a guy like the enemy an opportunity to be leading and leading the organization and to be working in that, right? And and his past offensive coordinators have gotten opportunities. I think Andy Reid has done what he was supposed to do. What's happening is the rest of these cats are not doing what they're supposed to do, right? And so how do you have that when you have a whole, the way they interview is not like how you and I would interview for a job where it's posted. You, you're doing that. I mean, they are selecting almost who comes in that's already corrupt from the beginning. Their, their, their selection process is is built on their selectivity before you even get it. So there's, there's no accountability to who you even have come interview. You just say they got to interview somebody. So then, they can customize how they want to interview. And people say, well, they own a team. Not really. This is built on public trust. You, you, the, the the government has allowed you to have a legal cartel, but that comes with responsibility to the public. You're not just a private organization. Or right. the government could change the... the, the now, now, what could threaten it is if the government, because they do, you do have a, a a division in the government that looks at these issues. You could threaten, that would change how they would hire, I mean, I think that's almost what you've got to go to when you have a workforce that looks like one way, and then you clearly have a management system that looks differently. That is built on people who who start with play experience. Well, if you got that many, you got 70% of your workforce is black, you should naturally have a pool of potential assistant coaches. Because a lot of times you hire a best player.
0: I mean, I I hear what you're saying, but the thing is about it because when you are talking about the NFL, you're talking about how it's legislated through the owners and through that commissioner they got. You know, uh, Oregon and a, and a lot of states, in it of itself, that's, that's really trying to be diverse, that can be sued in that regard, are going to try to make those kind of go try to make those kind of moves. The thing is here is you know, I I think it was a noble gesture. To at least get folks in their face, but it is what it is. You got billionaires telling millionaires how to run their their, their, their operations, and and when you start to see some of the stuff that we see, you know that regardless of the uh, the results on the field does not guarantee you anything. I think that to me is what's more troubling. I think that an outlier would probably be um, um, a Marvin Lewis. And, and, and Mike Tomlin. But Mike Tomlin has been successful in Pittsburgh. When Marvin Lewis was given ample time to figure it out in Cincinnati, and, and just never did. Um, but but the rest of the league in and of itself, you have to ask yourself, how is it that a coach gets fired after one year? Or a coach gets fired simply because he's winning with a franchise that doesn't win, but you need to do a better job as far as personnel and anything else. Um, but look, look how much time Jason Garrett was given in Dallas. Okay, compare Jason Kerr's time to, to Jim Caldwell, all right? Two different franchises, two different levels of expectations, and yet one coach gets gets fired with a better record than him. And this happens all the time. And you can go down the line. You can even come out of uh, the NFL, if you will, you can look at what happened to Willie Taggart down in Florida State. Wasn't even given a full year in, in his second year. What kind of crazy is that? You know, and, and, and all of a sudden he's a bad coach. I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't get that piece when we start talking about if you're going to give him a job, give him a chance to do a job. You know, that, 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 that last hired first fired crap is what drives me crazy more than anything else.
2: And, and, and you know, Marvin Lewis, I hear people talk about Marvin Lewis all, all, all the time. Marvin Lewis winning percentage, his performance is really in the playoffs. Marvin Lewis got, got at least five seasons of maybe six of nine or more wins, he got a twelve win season. He right. got a ten season. He got 11. so his, his issue. It ain't when he was winning. He wasn't winning in the in the regular season. You, the reason why I think he got renewed because he lost in the playoffs, but he he had a regular season record of eleven and five. One year he was twelve and four. He was eleven. He was eleven and five like twice. He was ten and six. Ten and ten and six, 10 wins three times. So even when we use Byron Lewis. He, he 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 if you just go regular season record, his regular season record is probably better than most of the other most other coaches you talk about that have regular season records. His number of 10, nine win or more seasons, if you say if if, if 50% is okay, his number of wins of eight win or more seasons. Majority of his seasons, he won eight or one wins. He got a hundred and 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 one twenty-two coaching records. I mean even when you look
1: at Tony Dungy, I'm when he got even,
0: fired even, at Tampa Bay he was yeah, winning. Yeah. I mean he, was, he, he, he was took ready. Tampa Bay further than anybody that, that that had ever gone before yeah. and he lost his yeah. job. Yes.
2: So I I am like I'm like even on the worst case scenario people like to put up he still had to be somewhat excellent. Right. Everybody talks right. About Lewis, I was feel so awkward about him, like cuz he was old for 7 in the playoffs. But when you look at his he still had to have a level excellence excellence in regular season.
0: That In fact, the up- only coach, the only yeah. coach of color that I could think of that had no business with a job was Hugh Douglas. That's the yeah. only one I could think of.
2: Yes, you, even Hugh, given what we do with Matt Patricia, should have got another year.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. But 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 when you when you when you when I see stuff like that, this is what outrages me. Um, is the fact that you know that's where the playing field is so slanted that you could give the ownership and the franchise what they want and that's winning records. Okay? Once you start to win, then anything can happen as long as you on the on the, south, on the north side of W's. But then you start losing the job, and they start saying stuff, and then the next guy comes in, and you give him carte blanche to absolutely destroy it. Then your fan base is supposed to say they know what they're doing. That just, that just, I just lose my mind on that, not just here in Detroit, but anywhere across. I, you know, Willie Taggart should have not have lost his job after, after, after 18 months. That was insane. Okay, at Florida State. And, I mean, the man, and, and let the me man the was question. doing the job at Oregon. Give him time. And yet, the, but the Tennessee coach, who was worse, kept his job. And both those teams end up being a bowl game. But that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about.
2: And, and, and when you look at it, I don't know if you can find a black coach who could have a pro, who could have a who could have a background of our guy in Arizona or Freddie Kitchen and get a job. I don't right. know if you. You can
0: Judge, like, I'm I Patricia for that matter, Matt, okay, like, like, if you come like, in and, and you are a irreparable ownership uh, of front office and your team finished 9-7, and seven, okay, and you fire that coach that you've gone back-to-back years 9-7 and seven to bring in a coach to get you over the top and then you are markedly worse, how do you keep your job? That's the second time that this particular franchise has done that, in which um, they've they've gone nine and seven, fired the coach, and gone three and twelve or, or, or four and twelve, and the coach never lose their job. So that they, the, you know, the, the Detroit Lions notwithstanding, but we've seen that kind of mess throughout the league, and and that's the thing about when we talk about the really Rule, we talk about, I mean, I mean, Ron Rivera, okay, yeah. uh, lost his job, his quarterback was hurt. Lost his job. That's the only coach has got the Carolina Panthers to the Super Bowl. Okay, now now for him, he lands on his feet, kinda being in Washington. He gets another job. But the fact is, is it was it, was it just time there, or did I just want to make a move for move say? That that kind of stuff. What did Brian Rivera yeah. do? Lose his job?
2: Yeah, and and, and for me, the only <laughs> the only evidence of moving to equity. Is is Jameis Winston? <laughs> the fact he gets okay. to thirty touchdowns and thirty interceptions, he can black
0: before. <laughs> but see, here's the thing about him, okay? Because they haven't done a good job of of, of even bringing in competition yeah. for him. They had Fitzgerald over there for a while, is that right? And and, and he was more of a pylon than, than Jameis. All right. The thing is, you got to you got to add competition because you slow on the draw. You know that's that Jameis Winston's fault. Jameis Winston showed you he was sorry. You had to go back to him. Okay, and, and I think you had to good. go back to him.
2: That that's your fault. I think I, I, as we end, I think this is something we're gonna bring back. To this. I'll say this about Jameis Winston. This is my theory about him. I think he got eye problems. If you ever watch him, he's always squinting. He's squinting every time I watch him on, on TV. He always squinting. And I'm thinking he can't see. I think it. So whose who's, who's job
0: is it to make sure he can see? Don't he get a physical? Somebody,
2: I'm like somebody just need to give him some contacts. You don't throw thirty interceptions there, five thousand yards and thirty interceptions and thirty touchdowns. There got to be something physically, technically wrong with you.
0: Well, he shows wide receivers good when he he's throwing
2: both those in. You what see what I'm far saying? The if you ever for
3: twenty nine picks.
2: I, I'm saying he can't. Have you ever watched him? And he's always squinting. Yeah. Go back and look at the video. He always squinting. I think got, I think he
3: got.
2: He was doing that in he, college. Yeah, I'm thinking somebody's gonna do some LASIK with him. I think I think he got eye problems. I think the smart, the smart GM would watch that film and be like, we're gonna bring him in and see his willingness to go and get some LASIK surgery. Because we might have somebody. Because when you throw thirty and seven, thirty and seven, but that to me is the only thing that we see some progress in is the year of the black quarterback. Other than that, we're not seeing it in the GMs. We're not seeing it in the coaches, and it's a structural issue. It's 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 owners who are in power who don't believe they they don't understand how the diversity actually can be a competitive edge. They haven't figured that one out yet. Nope. And, and and until they until they understand that, in a way, I think the, the NBA owners have quite began to figure out and what it does in terms of. Uh, free agency and a whole bunch of other things that allows them to attract folks in ways that are very important. Uh they're going to miss out on. It. The owner that gets it is going to be killing it. And so uh but they the people need not be uh, don't be short changed. They're able to make this money because there's a structural setup for them as a cartel in ways that's legal that could still be under jeopardy if people bring certain issues to life. So that's something, they, you know, as I said, it's about the NCAA stuff. And I said, you know, as people talk about the last 10 years and all the great things that people been highlighting all these different sports things, one thing I've been highlighting is the evolution of the athlete and the athlete's ability to be savvy across all sports in terms of moving political issues. Don't think this one is dead. Somebody's going to figure something out. And this issue is going to be addressed in the same way that other issues have been addressed. As we close, we got to go to our man, our resident, you know, our our patriarch of the the crew, the man. We bring wisdom culturally. We always leave the last word to the elder in in, in the house. And you know that for all of us is my man, Hank, to come and drop the mic.
0: All right. Thank you. Listen, happy new year to everybody out there, okay? Uh, Once upon a time back in the day, uh, there was a TV show. It, and it came on, and, and the um, host of the show name was Hugh Downs. Hugh Downs always started the show by saying, I'm Hugh Downs, and this is 2020. Well, folks, this is Hank Davis, and this is 2020. And I want you to think about that a minute. We are now in the year 2020, all right? 20 years ago was the year 2000. For some of y'all who wasn't born yet, let me kind of give y'all a little bit of something. We were so freaked out in the year 2000 that people thought that because the computers and stuff wasn't ready to flip over to a year with double zeros on it, that we were going to go back to 1900. Okay, that that, that the calendars wasn't going to be able to handle it. All right, that, 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 that all of a sudden our electricity was going to be turned off and then nothing was going to work. We were in total chaos. That was in the year 2000. I don't know if y'all look it up. Google Y2K. I'll tell y'all everything you need to know about how crazy everybody got. But 20 years ago, that's when that happened. 20 years ago. Here we are now, 20 years into the future from the, from from 2000. That year, that you know, the, the New York Yankees won the, the World Series. That year, when the St. Louis Rams beat the uh, the. Um, Tennessee Titans back then with Aaron McNair on the last play, okay, of the Super Bowl. That year when the Oklahoma Sooners won the national championship in, in college basketball. And, yes, Darnell, even your Michigan State Spartans with Mateen Cleaves won the college basketball national championship 20 years ago. 20 years ago. Think about that, folks. That 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 time is so fleeting. Time is going so fast that here we are in 2020, also known as, you know, the year of hindsight, the year we look back. You know, the old schoolers would say hindsight is 2020. That means if I knew everything now that I knew then, how much better off I would be. But I want you to take this this first month of the new year and look back to look forward, okay, and look forward and say, look, we're going to get our gifts, we're going to get our blessings, we're going to get everything because this is 2020. Now, we would be remiss if we walked off to this show and we didn't remind you all about what's going on on Monday night in which the LSU Tigers are going against the Clemson Tigers for the National Championship of College Football. And that's going to be a game that's going to be fun to watch. You're going to have a Heisman Trophy winner going against the National Champions. Okay? And it's going to be back and forth, and it's going to be a knockdown dragout. Yes, sir. The LSU Tigers against the Clemson Tigers. And if you want to ask me who I'm going to pick, I'm going to tell you right now. I'm growing with the Tigers. Y'all have a good evening.
1: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?